Oh, let's get it. Monday, April 12th, 2021. Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope you had a great week outside of podcast land. I would say that it's almost tax day, but it isn't. Psych! If you don't know, it was extended to May 17th. I say that because I didn't know, so I stressed out, got it done. Oh, well, no need to stress out later. Couple ratings, no new reviews this week, but there was some great feedback within the last couple of Born the Battle blogs on blogs.va.gov. I expected a wide range of comments from those that listened from uh, to the secretary's uh, interview. Also expected some comments from those that didn't listen, but um, wanted to comment on the episode anyways. That's fine. I've always thought that comments are a great place for leadership to see how something was received. And hopefully I'd see a couple of really good questions that uh, we can get into the next interview with him. As always, appreciate the feedback every week, especially when they're reviews on Apple Podcasts, uh, hint, hint, wink, wink. They're not only a good way to communicate directly with our podcast here, but they'd also help get the Born the Battle podcast recognized by more veterans in podcast land at the same time. Uh, I think only on Apple. If someone knows the secret sauce for Spotify, let me know. Before we get into news releases, I wanted to let you know about another blog on blogs.va.gov. Maybe you've seen it already, but I saw it in last week's Vet Resources and I wanted to highlight it. And I wanted to highlight it for you. Blogs like this have been news releases in the past, and I want to make sure I cover it. Uh, The blog said, VA extends debt relief for veterans. VA is extending debt relief for veterans through September 30th of 2021 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. VA will suspend the collection of all veteran benefit overpayments incurred between April 6th, 2020, and September 30th, 2021. No adverse actions or collection attempts will occur during the suspension period. Additionally, all co-payments for medical care and pharmacy services incurred from April 6, 2020 through September 30th of 2021 will be canceled, along with any fees or interest. Any payments from this time period will be refunded. Charges for medical care and prescriptions incurred from April 6, 2020 through September 30th of 2021 will be canceled. VA will refund payments that veterans have already made on those as well. With regard to benefit overpayments, veterans will receive a letter from the VA Debt Management Center showing current debt amount as well as the available options. Subsequent letters will be sent showing updates to veterans' accounts. For benefit overpayments, no action required. No action is required through September 30th of 2021. That said, if veterans would like to resolve debt sooner, there are options they can exercise now. VA can and will work with veterans to determine what option is best. Options include, of course, making a payment, establishing a repayment plan, submitting a compromise offer, disputing the debt, or requesting a waiver. For questions about VA benefit debt, that's GI Bill, VRE, anything like that, including information on how to make voluntary repayment arrangements, or for information about how to request a waiver, how to dispute a debt, or how to submit a compromise offer, call the Debt Management Center at 1-800-827-0648 from 6.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. That'd be about 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, 
Information is available online at www.va.gov forward slash manage hyphen VA hyphen debt. For medical care co-payment questions, please contact the Health Resource Center at 1-866-400-1238 from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, again, 8 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. They also have a website. It's a lot of words and symbols, and we'll link this blog to this Born the Battle blog on blogs.va.gov. So just go to blogs.va.gov, look for episode, what are we on, 237, and we'll put a link at the bottom to this to this entire blog. If a veteran's debt was referred to the U.S. Treasury, the debt is suspended through September 30th of 2021. For questions on debts referred to the Treasury, contact the Treasury Cross-Servicing Program, 1-888-826-3127 or the Treasury Offset Program at 1-800-304-3107. Through a lot of phone numbers out there and hopefully one helps someone. We also have two benefits breakdowns with the Debt Management Center so you can learn about the office and the Marine and Army veteran that run it and how they run it. Uh, That's episodes 190 and 211 in the archives. I think 190 was an episode on an older version of this policy and 211 was an overview of the entire Debt Management Center. Uh, May sound boring, but if you're in debt to the VA for whatever reason, it's some good info to have and it's a great thing to learn about within VA. And they'll help you out as I've got good faith in the Marine and again, in the Marine and the Army veteran that are in charge up there at the center in, I think it's in Minnesota. Okay, moving on to news releases. I've got two and one-tenths news release for you. What's the one-tenth? Stay tuned. First one says for immediate release, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs published a notice in the Federal Register April 1st to solicit public feedback to guide implementation on the new Staff Sergeant Parker Gordon Fox Suicide Prevention Grant Program. The Staff Sergeant Fox Suicide Prevention Grant Program will be a $174 million three-year grant program to provide resources to community organizations that serve veterans at risk of suicide and support to their families across the U.S. In addition to soliciting public comments, VA will be hosting two virtual listening sessions in the coming months. A second Federal Register notice with registration information and further details will be forthcoming in the coming weeks. The feedback from both notices will use to provide recommendations for the Staff Sergeant Fox Suicide Prevention Grant Program. To to view the notice and submit comments, go to the website federalregister.gov. I just went there myself and I typed in Fox SPGP and it was the first link in the list. Uh, The public comment period ends April 22nd, 2021. Uh, Not endorsing any product or service. I want to stress that, but I am going to plug an episode in the archives on this. I think my feedback for this grant program will be for them to listen to Born the Battle, episode 212 with Marine veteran Aaron Quinones. All right, next one says, for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs recently launched a national outreach effort during Sexual Assault Awareness Month to inform veterans of free counseling and treatment being offered at VA for mental and physical health conditions related to military sexual trauma. Veterans do not need to have a VA disability rating. Again, I want to stress that veterans do not need to have a VA disability rating, have reported military sexual trauma, or have other documentation of the experience to get this care. These services may also be available to veterans not eligible for other VA care. 
veterans who have experienced MST and would like to learn more about VA support may call their nearest VA medical center or vet center and speak with a military sexual trauma coordinator or a VA healthcare provider. To learn more about MST and VA's MST-related services, go to www.mentalhealth.va.gov forward slash MST home, all one word, dot ASP. All right, and the last news release, the one-tenth of a news release is for immediate release. VA research reveals link between financial strains and risk of homelessness. Also breaking news, there's a link between dehydration and lack of water. But seriously, nothing I read in this news release will surprise you. However, there are some resources that do create specialized programs based on these common sense findings that say you need a full service approach to keep veterans in homes after you initially assist them to get them off the street. Uh, The program can contain personalized focus on the job training, vocational training, financial support services, financial education, debt management services, mental health services, things like that. To learn more, go to va.gov forward slash homeless. All right, this week's guest is a retired Navy two-star admiral. Command stints include commander of the Naval Air Force Reserve, and he was a vice commander for Third Fleet and Naval Reserve Forces Command. Notably, he was also a deputy commander for the Joint Task Force Southwest Asia in Saudi Arabia and commander of the Iceland Defense Force, which is, I thought was pretty interesting. He's a Naval War College, Naval Postgraduate School, National Defense University, and Harvard graduate. He's a former fighter and commercial pilot who flew Navy fighters from the F-4 all the way to the F-18. He is now the founder of Corporate America Supports You and is a board member for the Military Spouse Corporate Career Network. Combined, both nonprofits have placed more than 120,000 veterans in corporate careers since 2010 and they have a verified service member roster with no personal PII updated right on the pages. And in Corporate America Supports use case, the average salary of the veterans they've helped get employed is $70,000, and 93% of those they've helped stay in the job they track for more than six months. He is Navy veteran Dan Kloibel. Enjoy. We're going to play it by ear, Dan. All right. We're going to start recording, play it by ear, and see where this thing goes. Sounds good. Um, first of all, Kloppel, is, uh, where, where, what's the origin of that? Uh, I think around uh, northern Germany. Okay. Very good. Very good. In, in German, they pronounce it Kloppel with an O, with an umlaut over the O-E. Gotcha. Well, welcome, Dan. Welcome to Born the Battle. You know, you came pretty highly recommended. Cheryl Mason, one of our, one of our former guests, she said, hey, I, I, I've got a... A former admiral that uh, you really need to talk to. So you came pretty highly recommended and, and really appreciate you for taking the time to do this. Well, I appreciate you asking us. And uh, uh, I, I have a lot of respect for Cheryl Mason. So if she recommended us, I'm appreciative of that. Because ta- she talked about a couple of your nonprofits that you guys do, that you guys work in. And looking at those websites, I see that there's a pretty tight link between you and your wife in those. Absolutely. It seems like... Uh, Seems like a lot of time uh, when we talk about the next phase in a veteran's life, it seems to always heavily involve a significant other if if you have one. Well, let, let me tell you the the history here, and then it'll uh, be a little easier to understand. So, 
I, I was a career reservist. I did seven years of active duty in the Navy, and then I transitioned to the reserves and also uh, got hired by the airline. So yeah. at the end of the day, I ended up with a 36-year career in the in the Navy and a 36-year career with American Airlines. And uh, I, I retired as the commander of the Naval Air Reserve and the deputy commander of Naval Reserve Forces Command. And when I was in that last three-year stint, uh, Debbie started a program called the Military Spouse Corporate Career Network. And it was all about uh, helping military spouses get Good career enhancing employment. You two do seem like a tight team. How did you guys meet? Well, uh, when we met, I was a pilot for Transworld Airlines and Debbie was working uh, as an executive at American Airlines managing flight attendants. Okay. And I'll be honest with you, we we met on a crew bus in the St. Louis airport once. (laughs) Very good. We will, we, we will have been married uh, 23 years this year. That's outstanding. Congratulations. Well, thank you. So, um, you, you know, you, you talked about you were active duty for, for the first seven years of your career. Sir, when and why did you decide to enter the Navy in the first place? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting story. I, I, uh, I was always really good at math to the point when, uh, when I was taking college entrance exams, I, I, got the highest score you can get in math and the, and the college entrance exams. And that, that enabled me to pretty much get a scholarship to every university I applied to. And mm-hmm. since I was good at math, my teacher said, you need to be an engineer. So I'm a, I'm a, a young kid from South St. Louis and I have to agree with the experts. If they think I should be an engineer, I should probably be an engineer. So I applied for a co-op program with McDonnell Douglas, which is a big defense contractor in St. Louis at the time, and uh, went to Northwestern University and studied engineering and came back and worked at McDonnell Douglas in, in, the, in the summers as a co-op student with the, you know, the plan to eventually work as an engineer at McDonnell Douglas when I graduated. And then something happened. In the summer between my uh, sophomore and junior year, I made the acquaintance of uh, a Navy test pilot doing acceptance checks on the uh, the F-4s. And at the time, we were producing two or three of those a week in, in St. Louis. Vietnam was going on hot and heavy. And, and, uh, yeah. and I reached the conclusion that I think I want to do what they're doing. <laughs> and I went back to Northwestern and I joined uh, the two-year contract ROTC program at Northwestern. And uh, they put me in a program called the Flight Indoctrination Program, where they bought my private license to see if I would really be interested in aviation. Because I'll be honest with you, I'd never been in an airplane in my life. Wow. And so I I got a private license. I graduated from Northwestern and uh, I went to flight school and... uh, Never ended up working as an engineer. So this is my 1968. I started flying uh, airplanes and I fly airplanes to this day. I was a carrier aviator in the Navy and an airline pilot. And I loved every minute of it. How did you manage a full-time career as a commercial airline pilot? And yet, you know, you, you eventually became. Because my last 10 years of, of time in the Navy, along with the airline, I averaged 250 days a year in a Navy uniform. I love the life. I love doing it. 
and uh, uh, I'm very proud of my Navy career. And I, I do it I, every job I had in the Navy. I go back and do it again. Sure. Uh, sure. And but I but I love I loved having an office at forty one thousand feet, too. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. I, I liked going back and forth. I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. How were you able to manage it? I'll be honest with you. I didn't chase the money. I, okay. I did uh, as much as I possibly could with the Navy. And I did as much as I possibly could with the airline. And with the understanding that I would still leave eight to 10 days a month to devote to, to my family. And that's a challenge. And it didn't always work, yeah. but, but that was, that was the challenge I gave to myself. And if it meant sacrificing money on either side, so be it. And, and my airlines were always very supportive, extremely supportive. I mean, you know, a lot of people think of a reserves as a part-time job, but to get to the position that you eventually got to it, it, it had to become a full-time job as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it had to. Absolutely. Yeah. There was no such thing as weekends. <laughs> we we had a command where uh, we were responsible for all the Navy and Marine Corps Reserve Centers in seven states. We worked every weekend for three years. That was the only way I could get around to all of my reserve centers and visit and talk to sailors is is to work every weekend. So I would I would fly for the airline during the week, and I'd work on the weekend in in my oversight job of those reserve centers and. Uh, it was well worth my time, though. And Debbie and I made friends all over literally the world. We, Debbie and I spent a year in Iceland. I was the commander of the Iceland Defense Force. Yeah. Uh, I ran the Navy's boot camp up at Great Lakes. I ran the Strike and Air Warfare Center out in Fallon, Nevada, where we train the air wings before they go to the ship. And it was a flying job at age 52. I was... A flying two-star, which I thought was just like going to heaven. And I mean, I just, I've just had great jobs. Enjoyed every one of them. Now you were a fighter pilot with it, with the Corsair and the Skyhawk. It looks like you were a pilot at a time when, you know, it was very early in jet engine technology. And then it, it seemed like the Navy was trying to figure out what the mainstay jet was going to be for the fleet. Absolutely. Do you think that experience helped you later on when you started taken training command billets? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. I, I actually trained in the F-9 Cougar, which was a Korean warfighter. Oh, man. I went to the ship in the F-9 Cougar, which is probably one of the most underpowered jets you can take to the carrier. And then I went to the A-7, which uh, the A-7E uh, in 1973 was so far ahead of its time with a with, uh, uh, an inertial navigation system and a Doppler radar and uh, heads-up display. I mean, way ahead of its time. Things that probably come standard now, you know, in your standard jet. Oh, exactly. And then eventually, I transitioned to the FA-18, and I commanded an FA-18 squadron. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, the Super Hornets of today, the the modern day F-18s, you know, with with uh, helmet-mounted uh, heads-up display, and uh, I mean. Uh, when, when we were in Fallon, Nevada, the, the CEO of Top Gun worked for me. So I got to fly with those kids a lot in those modern jets. And, and uh, the things that they knew about the, the weapon systems and the equipment and were able to teach. I mean, our whole idea at Top Gun is to create experts that could go back and train their fellow pilots in their next squadron. 
so that we could yeah. build on that expertise and spread it. And I'll tell you, those kids were great. I mean, I would have to go down there in the evening and make them go home. They just love what they did. That's outstanding. During your time in, give me either a best friend or your greatest mentor. My my greatest mentor was uh, uh, a Navy Reserve Admiral named Ken Fisher. And unfortunately, he's passed away. But uh, I, I was very fortunate when I was a SEAL of my F-18 squadron and in, in, a, in a ranking system. I, I ended up being one of nine of nine reserve carrier wing COs. And Admiral Ken Fisher showed up at my change of command when I was leaving that squadron. And I'd never met him before. And he took me aside at my change of command and said, young man, I like what you've done and I've got plans for you. And when you get a mentor like that, you latch on. Sure. Because he was smart, dedicated, had done great things for himself. And uh, he, I, I owe a lot to him. Uh, and I've tried to be that kind of mentor to to people that came up behind me because it's so important. If you were to pick one thing that you learned from him, and I know there's many, but if you were to pick one story or, or one intangible, what would it have been? Dedicate the, de- dedicate the yourself to whatever job you have. Uh, do, do the absolute best job in every job you have and you won't regret it. And people will, will treat you accordingly. And I've, I've tried to live by that because that's what he did. He, he was a, a squadron commander. He was a uh, regional commander for the reserves. He never turned down an active duty position that was he was asked to do. And I tried never to do that. When the Navy asked me to, I, I had a policy. I will never turn down a reasonable request. And that's how I ended up in all the places I ended up. That's how I ended up in the Mideast twice. Yeah, you've served in, as a flag officer for, for many different billets. Uh, some are joint service, like the commander of the Joint Task Force, Southwest Asia, and commander of the Iceland Defense Force. It sounds like a unique job. Um, as sounds like a very unique job. As a commander, what was one of the most difficult decisions that you had to make? Um, when I had to fire somebody. And it's... It probably happened more times than you would imagine. Always a very difficult job. And you always have to make sure you've done the right thing. But sometimes that is the right thing. How were you able to get through decisions like that? I I sought advice from uh, trusted advisors and I did my research and and, uh, I tried to make the best decision I could. And I... I'll be honest, I never regretted any of those decisions. They always, yeah. you know, you don't, uh, nobody's immune from making mistakes. But if you, uh, I also never um, shied away from making a decision. I, I, I'm a firm believer in the 80% solution. Get the most information you can get from the most reliable sources. Analyze it. Use your instincts, but, but come to a conclusion. Make a decision. There's nothing worse than working for a commanding officer who can't make a decision, who's constantly asking for more information. It drives you crazy. And I tried not to be that person. Very good. Very good. Now, sir, what what year was retirement for you? I retired from the Navy in 2004. 
I, I got into to the two-year ROTC program in 1968 and I retired in 2004. And I retired from wow. American Airlines in 2013 when I turned 65. I, I tell people my management position here with the not-for-profits is my third 36-year career. You're, you obviously love doing it. I do. Like. I do. Yeah. It's a, it's a noble mission. It's worth getting up in the morning. And, I, and uh, it's not something I have to do. It's something that I want to do. What was the initial transition like for you? You know, obviously being a commercial pilot for a long time, you had that second career. But did anything change for you after that retirement from after that retirement ceremony or after they pulled a fl- that flag out from the desk at the Pentagon and said, here you go? Two, two questions there. Were you able to adapt? Yes. Did you want to? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I would have stayed as long as they, they'd have me because I always had good jobs and I always yeah. loved doing them. So I would have stayed. But if I if I didn't leave eventually, that that new guy out there would never have a chance to come up the ranks and, and get the uh, gratifying experiences that I did. So I understood. I mean, you can't stay forever. Yeah. Uh, and, and I get that. And I, I moved on. I, I created a consulting company and had some really good experience with that. And I continued to fly for the airline, which, like I said, having to having an office at 41,000 feet, is nothing. It's not a bad thing. Not too shabby. And then uh, uh, following Debbie through through the not for profit world. And I started doing this in, in full time in 2014 after I retired from American. So. Now, yeah, you and your your wife there, you and uh, Debbie, um, you're you're founders and CEOs of two nonprofits, right? Corporate America supports you and the Military Spouse Corporate Career Network. Debbie started the the Military Spouse Corporate Career Network when I was still in the Navy Uh because she had a lot of experience giving up executive positions and starting over in places. And uh, she wanted to make it easier for other military spouses. So that was the uh, that was the, her idea behind MSCCN, and she started that in 2004 when I was still in New Orleans in the Navy. I, I was always involved on the periphery, but it, when I retired from American, she said, "Will you take this on full time uh, after retiring?" And I thought about it, and I uh, closed down my consulting company, and I, I and I'm, I don't regret it. It's it's worked worked out really well. You know, she has a very impressive resume herself as a vice president of operations at America Airlines, uh, uh, Concerta Health Management, you know, and and she was always also, I saw on her resume that she managed to, to operate a private brick and mortar sporting goods store even. Right. Right. Um, and meanwhile, you're getting, meanwhile, meanwhile, you're getting billets in Iceland. You know? <laughs> and she took, she took a leave of absence from American Airlines. As a matter of fact, we, we were able to institute a policy at American Airlines called the military spouse, military leave of absence, which is still honored today. Oh, it's outstanding. She, she basically left her job for a year to go, to go with me to Iceland. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, certainly wouldn't have wanted to be, be there by myself. I mean, we, we did, uh, so many things uh, in the place of the ambassador up there. We were, I, I think we we had visitors every week from all parts of the world. So it was it was uh, it was important to be to have Debbie there with me. And I and I'll tell you the Icelanders loved her. 
I bet they uh, they're they're a great people, but they they uh, they don't make friends easily. So you have to reach out to them, and Debbie's good at that. My wife she she's been to Iceland. I haven't. She loved it. Beautiful place. Beautiful place. Yeah. Well worth visiting. Now, sir, you have two nonprofits that serve two different sectors of the veteran community. Why break it up into two separate ones? Well, so in 2010, and this was this was before I was uh, wholly involved. the mm-hmm. The director of the Army National Guard wrote Debbie a personal letter. It was it was on Army Guard stationery, asking her to create something for his Army Guardsmen, like she had created for military spouses, and a, a way that. Army guardsmen could get placed into jobs in the corporate sector because it's important for a guardsman to have a good civilian job that supports their guard career. Yeah. And uh, and so we took on the task. We created the name Corporate America Supports You because I was a firm believer be, uh, being a tip of the sphere uh, military guy, especially in the joint world, I thought – you know what? DOD money ought to go to the tip of the spear guys. Corporate America ought to be supporting this effort. Yeah. So we became Corporate America Supports You, and we went after corporate funding to make this happen. And that wasn't an easy task. It took us about a year and a half to 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 get our first funder, and it turned out to be an organization called Direct Employers <laughs> Association that gave us $250,000 and we, we started it rolling and we had a small staff at the time and our secret sauce is with the help of the army guard, we were able, Debbie got technology from a company called Brass Ring, which has evolved from Brass Ring to a company called Conexa who purchased Brass Ring and then IBM bought Conexa. So now this great technology system that we use for job placement and tracking comes from IBM community giving. So it, it's, it's served us very well. And with that technology and a handful of people on our staff, we trained many, many National Guard contractors and, and members out in the States to help us what we'd been doing with military spouses. We, we trained them in using the technology and our processes for job placement. And as a team, by the twenty by twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen, we were putting over three thousand people a year into jobs. Wow! So it was a concerted effort on both sides, and it continues. And at this point, Corporate America Source has evolved into also doing that same service for the Army Reserve, in in addition to veterans and military spouses. So that's that's how the the two. Uh, came into being. And then in 2019, we had the opportunity bought to buy a small, not a f- small for-profit called Vet Jobs. It was called vetjobs.com. And it was, it, it had been around for, for quite a while, longer than we had actually. Yeah. And it was moderately successful, but the, 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 the great man who, who started Vet Jobs passed away and it, his widow contacted us and said, I, you know, I, I really think that you should have this domain name because of the great work you're doing at Corporate America Supports You. And she wanted to get her investment money out of it. And I understand that because now she's a widow, right? Sure. Of a veteran. And, and so 
I mentioned this to uh, we one of our biggest clients is Swift Transportation. They're the biggest trucking company in the world. I mentioned this uh, possibility at a meeting we had out in Phoenix, and the COO says, "I'd like to help you do that." So he gave me the money to buy that that company, wow. and we turned it. We turned in 2019. We we closed the deal and turned it into a not for profit called VetJobs.org, and just by virtue of the domain name, yeah. We were getting an additional 200 to 250 new applicants a week off the internet. Wow. And a lot of them were Google. It, and then later in that year, we found the domain name militaryspousejobs.org and created that entity. So we set up an also known as relationship between Casey and Vet Jobs are actually the same not for profit with two names mm-hmm. and military spouse jobs and, and, uh, uh, MSCCN are also the same not-for-profit with an also name as a relationship. And the reason we did that is we're starting in eight, this coming April, we're starting a pilot program with the Department of Labor and now with the VA to accept referrals directly from government entities. And what, And we thought these domain names are things these young transitioning service members will remember. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's smart marketing. If I put vet jobs on the blackboard, they're going to remember it. If I put poor co- corporate America supports you, maybe. We've created a strategy where it's now called the Vet Jobs One Central Employment Network. And it still contains vet jobs and Casey. And then there's a number of pr- programs under Casey, which is Engine, which is a National Guard Employment Network. There's the Army Reserve P3 program. There's a program called Recon. The more you mention that, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to go down each rabbit hole. So, <laughs> Oh, I will. I, I, I'll be happy to do because they're, they're all very good programs that have developed over the course of our uh, progress with these, these uh, two not-for-profits. I mean, and we're growing again this year. I mean, we're yeah. going to start this DOL pilot. Debbie's got a new program that she's working with the spouse of the chief of staff of the Army to create an Army spouse employment program. It's called Arm Me Up. And the only thing that's, that's slowed us down is that it's COVID because we've yeah. got these great senior enlisted leaders that can't wait to get out there and, and advertise this, this situation. And we're getting funded for that. So. The programs keep expanding and growing and, and the good we do keeps growing. We, we went over 10,000 job placements in 2020. I appreciate your analytics um, Look, do, and doing my research. Uh, just looking at Corporate America Supports You, over 100,000 veterans since its inception and since its inception of helping that many veterans. Uh, but I like to see the number of veteran hires, almost 60,000 in 10 years. Last year alone, almost 9,000 hires. Average salary, $70,000. And here's the reason we put a lot of time and effort so that the two biggest hurdles for a transitioning service member, one, what kind of field do I want to work in? Is it what I was doing in the military or is it something completely different? Yeah. And how am I going to know? And so we, we have a process that we put the, the applicants through to decide, okay, what field do you want to be in? And then we have a huge number of training programs that that we IBM has produced many of them. Salesforce, uh, the, the the military has uh, Skills Build, Skills Bridge rather. We I think in the fourth quarter we had seven hundred and twenty six successful training events. 
for our applicants. Because what we're trying to do here is that your second biggest hurdle after you've decided what field to be in is what do I need to do to get the job I want in that field? What kind of training, certification, education do I need to get the job? And that, that stuff takes time, right? Yeah. So we, we try to, to eliminate those two hurdles and get them ready. We, we take their resume and we, we pinpoint it to a particular job in a particular field with a set of certifications and training to go with it. And then we place them. And that's why our starting salary is higher. Very good. Very good. So you're talking about training. Uh, with with SAP, Salesforce, uh, IBM, what have you, are is this through your your portal, and is it is there a cost to it? We don't enter into any agreement with anybody that costs the veteran or the military spouse a penny. Wow. We don't we don't go along with the uh, GI Bill chasing. Yeah. It's it's either a, a scholarship or go someplace else to find your applicants. Gotcha. Very good. We have quality training. A lot of a lot of corporate America has stepped up to the plate to give quality training to veterans and military spouses. Okay. So I'm a veteran or I'm a veteran that just EAS'd and I and I've had someone on base just look at my resume once or twice, but that's it. Walk me through the process. What what's the first thing I should do? Well, we have two we have two groups of people in our, our organization that work directly with applicants. The, the career specialists, take them through that survey to find out what field they want. Take them through the survey to find out what kind of training they need. And then they help them with their resume to make sure the resume fits the job they're applying to. Because that's what recruiters want. Mm-hmm. They want the resume to reflect what they want. It's logical. Not what the applicant wants. Yeah, that's logical. Okay. And then we have a group of people called Recruiter Connect Specialists who build a relationship with those recruiters. Because I've often been, have said that, that if a CEO of a large company commits to hiring veterans, you're about 5% along the way of success. Mm-hmm. If you're not down in the weeds convincing the recruiters and the hiring managers that it's a good idea, and if you haven't built a relationship with that recruiter who's actually going to look at the resume you send, then you're not going to have success. So our Recruiter Connect specialists are there to build relationships with recruiters so that when that resume hits their desk, it goes to the top of the heap and they pay attention to it. Mm, very good. That's the way our, our system works. And we're, we're constantly improving that process. We're, we're all about constant process improvement. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the first thing a veteran should do is, when they reach out is, is take that survey, figure out how the, what job they really, really want and how to get the certifications to do it. What, what field do you want first? What field yeah. do you want to be in first? I mean, a lot of people want to do what they're doing in the military. Many get out of the military because they don't want to be doing what they've been doing. They want to do something totally different. And that's okay as long as you're willing to put in the work to get to that point. Very good. Very good. What I thought was interesting about the Military Spouse Corporate Career Network was that, and this is important for a lot of those veterans who use VA services, is that you not only support the veteran spouses, but veteran caregivers. Absolutely. And sometimes they're one of the same, but but many times they're not. So you talked about the biggest hurdle for, for veterans. You talked about the two biggest hurdles for veterans. I'm going to ask the same question about uh, spouses and caregivers. What, what's, what do you see as the biggest hurdle for them? 
you're really talking about two hugely different questions between the uh, uh, military spouse and a caregiver, because what they have to do is totally different. Okay. And we've 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 hired many caregivers to work with us because we we don't have offices. Everybody works from home, so it's 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 possible for a caregiver to work with us because they can work from home because they're often required to stay at home with their military member who who needs help. Yeah. And and we can vary their hours, but you used to always hear that geography was always was always a big hurdle for military spouses. And do you? I oh, mean, it is. The, yeah. the fact is, the biggest challenge for a military spouse on active duty is the the moving. Yeah. Yep. Picking up and starting off, and not even not maybe not just a new job, but a new career, depending yeah. on what's available. And we're finding, I mean, one thing COVID has done is is made work from home a whole new uh, way of looking at work. I think it's opened a lot of people's eyes. Absolutely. And we've been doing it. We didn't have to make any transition because that's what we've always done. Yeah. But but for people looking for a job, I think it's going to open a lot of doors. You know, and I think it's going to help mitigate a lot of the, the geography issues that military spouses have. Um, it so could it's funny, very well. And it's, it's funny how you talked about the biggest hurdle. I mean, we always knew that geography, being mobile, was, was, a, was a hurdle for military spouses. It's mm-hmm. funny that you, you talk about the lack of mobility for the caregiver. So it's almost like the exact opposite. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. But I'll tell you, this is another story. Maybe you'll put it at the back of your presentation. <laughs> but many years ago, Debbie hired a caregiver and she was very good at what she did. Yeah. She had a, a, a young Marine that had had a head injury and actually had to wear a helmet around the house to prevent. And uh, he, it, it took him a while to, to adapt. I mean, he, he had a serious head injury. But over the course of time working for us, he would watch over her shoulder and eventually said, hey, can I try that? And we, we at the time, we were, we were accepting jobs from small businesses. I mean, we have, a, we have a relationship with direct employers where we have two and a half million jobs from all the Fortune 100 and Fortune 500 companies. So we typically have two and a half million jobs at our disposal, but wow. we accept jobs from small business, no, no cost, but we have to physically load them into brass ring. And so one of the things that, that the caregiver was doing was loading these jobs into brass ring, which is, which is, um, you know, you know, take some computer skills, but, uh, but you can do it with distractions. You know what I mean? When he, yeah. when you're a caregiver, it was something she, yeah. but he started looking over his shoulder and said, Hey, could I try that? So he would sit down and load some, but he, he, his, his attention span was limited. He, he had to take naps and you know, all that's understandable with this condition. So we found out that he was doing that and we said, well, we'll pay him to do that. We'll pay him to do that. Wow. And that really made him feel good. Sure. And he would do more and more and more. And, uh, I mean, the real, the real success story of, of this is at the end of the day, she ended up getting a great HR job because she got more and more involved in what we did and learned more and more. And she made herself a career asset for an HR company. 
And he got motivated enough to go back to school. Wow. So we, we created two success stories from our willingness to hire a caregiver. From, from you personally hiring a caregiver. Very good. We're very proud of that. Um, looking outside of personally hiring someone, through either of these nonprofits, either the Military Spouse Corporate Career Network or through CASY, do you have a, another personal success story of where you have a, a veteran that uh, EAS or transitioned and, and you were able to place them? And do oh, many, many. Part of our requirement for our funders is to produce success stories at the end of each quarter. Hmm. And I can, I can get you literally hundreds. There are, there are great success stories. One that sometimes I relate to is we had a National Guardsman that, that uh, got hired by uh, PepsiCo. Uh-huh. And we, we often say that once you're part of our program, you stay part of our program. If you want to get your next better job, we'll help you do that. If you want to get a promotion where you're at, we'll help you do that. We took this young man through four promotions at PepsiCo. Wow. Was that a job that he would had already knew how to do in the military? Did you, did you train? Is that another story where you trained him up? Totally separate from what he'd done in the military. Yeah. He just got better and better at it. And he was willing to do training and, and, and get more certifications and, and made himself more valuable. And he moved up the chain into better jobs. You were talking a little bit about your accreditation, uh, or or some of the some of the some of the funders that you work with. Um, I'm a, I'm a gamer. It's like this, uh, and I like to see the Call of Duty endowment seal of, of distinction on your website. For other nonprofits that are looking for funders like Call of Duty endowment, you know, that's what advice would you have to them? Well, <laughs> I can tell you how Debbie did it. She, she just, Debbie, how would you describe your attempts to get funding from Call of Duty? Relentless. <laughs> I love it. I love the aspect of this podcast that your wife is right there that you could just reach out. And yeah. touch her. I love no, it. No, she, she worked, she worked them hard. And I'll tell you, she, she built up an entire fan base on their board. Really? The, the issue was she had a spouse program mm-hmm. and they were only going to fund job placements for veterans. So, of course, when Corporate America Supports You came about, she was all over them again and said, OK, you wanted to support veterans? Take a look at this. And sure enough, in 2013, we went through a week long audit from Deloitte. Call of Duty has, a, has an agreement with Deloitte. Okay. Anybody that gets money from them goes through a, a week-long Deloitte audit before they get what's called a seal of distinction. And then every two years after they get money because they want to make sure that, that their money is used properly. And I'm very proud to say that of the 15 not-for-profits that Call of Duty funds today, we are their most productive and most efficient. Very cool. But but that's how we got that first big grant from Call of Duty. Relentless activity on the part of my wife Debbie. But Dan Goldenberg is is uh is their executive director and he is a uh Naval Academy graduate and has an MBA from Harvard. Wow. Smart guy. I I would call him the country's expert on veteran employment. Oh, well, maybe we should have him on the maybe we should have him on the show. 
You should. Okay. You should. I, I mean, he is, uh, he's, he's a smart guy that knows a lot about the, the program and, and, uh, he, uh, but he, he only has one deliverable and that's job placements. And, and that's, that's, that's what's important to him. And we, we work hard to, to put people in the jobs and make them proud. And then he introduced us to the Schultz family foundation okay. in Seattle. Yep. And now they're a, they're a million dollar funder. Yeah. And uh, Boeing has been with us since 2005. They were the first company to, to a defense contractor to, to fund our spouse program and continue to. Mm-hmm. And then uh, recently we've gotten a donation from Veterans United, which is the largest purveyor of VA loans in the world. And they, they are, uh, they're going to support our Army spouse employment program. For, for nonprofits that are doing good work out there, and maybe haven't had the same chance to get the same visibility, what advice would you have to them? You really got to work at it. <laughs> Very good. Relentless. And you, you, you got to be relentless and you got to do good work and you've got to document it. Document. I mean, having this, this IBM tracking system, you know, every one of those six, we, we're, we just went over 66,000 job placements. We can tell you on every one of those, first name, last name, military affiliation, who hired them, what their salary, starting salary was, what they were doing six months and a year later. Every one of those 66,000, they're not figments of somebody's imagination. They're not a commitment to hire. They're a no kidding job placement in a real company. I like the analytics that you can, you can, you're able to spit out just off the top of your head, just I like the analytics that you guys have. Uh, well, we're great. built on credibility. We're yeah. built on credibility and we're built on uh, production. Mm-hmm. We, when we first, the, the first time we interviewed with Schultz, the program manager admitted in the, in the, on the way out that she wasn't crazy about this appointment. She had to talk to us. Oh. She just wasn't looking forward to it. She just <laughs> thought we were another small not for profit trying to get some money. Yeah. And in one of the questions that came up in the uh, interview, basically for the, for the, the grant was, can you, can you prove what you do? Well, Debbie pulls out and it was no accident. She had this giant briefcase she was carrying. She pulled out 50, at least 50 pages. Would you say Deb of, of, our last two years hires report. Wow. And flops it down on the desk and said, here is what we've done the last two years. And this is all the data on who we hire. We're not going to pretend we hired people. We're not going to give you some imaginary number. Here it is. Or, or we're not going to give you an imaginary number of what we could do. This is right. what we've done. Yeah. Right. I mean, 95% of the time, a small not-for-profit is trying to get money for what they could do. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. And we were getting money for what we are doing. So, was there ever a question of, "Hey, you're already doing it. Why? Why do you need us?" And what would your answer be to that? You have documentation of what you've done. Why do you need to come to this foundation for funding? Oh, well, you know what? I do. I do have a comeback for that. I I, I tell new funders this: I'm not looking for money to continue doing what we do. I'm looking for money so we can do more of what we do. 
we're serving this number of people right now. We're successful this many times, but we're just scratching the surface of the demand. Yeah. 200,000 people get out of the military every year. You know, if we put 9,000 of them into jobs every year, we're just scratching the surface. There's a lot more work to be done and we're really good at it. So it'd behoove you to fund us to do more of what we're already doing because we proved that we can do it. We can do it well. So, you know, you're, you're putting 10,000 in job placements. You're still a net loss of, are you putting 10,000 in job placements? Placements. There's still a net loss of 190,000. There's still the demand still there. Plus, and that compounds every year. The Department of Labor uh, gets a bad rap sometimes, but they do put 150,000 veterans into jobs every year. Wow. Wow. In their state offices. So that's no small feat. No. So, but there's still, there's still a ton of veterans out there who aren't transitioning service members. You know, transitioning service members are the 200,000, right? Yeah. There's still a ton of veterans out there that aren't in that category that still need jobs. Interesting. And even in, in of the 150,000, there's also getting that person the next better job. Yeah. which I'd say 35% of the people that we work with every day are looking for their next better job because they're underemployed. And that, and I'm not sure that the, the, the uh, DOL offices out in the, in the field are equipped to do that. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're more, they're more intention to, to get that person a job so they can pay their, their rent and, and get off unemployment. We're more equipped to take them to the next step to take them to, to the, get them trained and, and, and tweak their resume to get that next better job. So there's, there is no shortage of work to be done out there. No. And, and it compounds every year. Absolutely. You both have obviously, both you and your wife uh, have given back a lot to both the military veteran and military spouse communities. What's your number one piece of advice for those that want to give back and they want to start something? Uh, maybe, maybe it's a nonprofit to do, to do it. Well, um, I guess if you're not sure what you want to do, maybe try to volunteer for an organization for a while. Okay. We, um, we have a program called Career Corps. And for a long time, um, we only hired people that came through our Career Corps. And the Career Corps was a volunteer effort. Mm. Because they would they would get all their training on the technology and, and the processes while they were in career corps. And then when we had an opening, we'd hire them into the and, and put them on the payroll. We were growing fast enough where we couldn't always wait for somebody to get through career corps. But I, I'll tell you, it was a great program. And I, I we haven't abandoned it. And we actually got a, a, a grant from USAA to do uh, an HR training period for career corps people so wow. that they could either go to work for us afterwards or be, uh, have the training to get a good HR job somewhere else. And I, I'd, like, I'd kind of like to get back to that as well. So that's one avenue, but I, I will tell you, and I tell people this now, if you want to start your own not-for-profit, you better be willing to work 16 hours a day, seven days a week for five or six years like Debbie did. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it takes. 
<laughs> I mean, if you want to have a good one and get all the, you know, the yeah. technology and, and the, the funders and the, the backing and the following, yeah. uh, it's no easy task. I mean, she worked, she worked hard to get where she was with that. But that's with any small business, right? If, if you're, sure. you know, anybody that's ever tried to start a small business knows that you, you got to put a lot of your time and treasure into it to get it to work. You better be dedicated. Very good. Very good. What is one thing that you learned in service that you carry with you today? I, I, I would say that the, the, the people that you work with are your biggest asset. You might have the greatest piece of equipment in the world, but if you don't have the, uh, the, the people that you can trust that will accept uh, training and do the best job they can, you're, you're not going to be successful. And I've, I've been very fortunate. I had nine commands in the Navy, five as a flag officer, and I was blessed with good people. I'm glad I'm blessed with good people on, th on these teams of the, of the not-for-profits. And, uh, I, I am very fortunate. I mean, we've had people that have been with us for 10 years. So realizing that people are your, your greatest asset, uh, is probably the, the major thing I've learned in the military. Now, equipment's way up there, though. <laughs> I mean, great technology and great airplanes, uh, they sure help your cause. Well, you know, Navy would say that. Air Force would say that. Army, Marine Corps, maybe not so much. But <laughs> Oh, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. I'm, I'm, you know, lately we have been getting, you know, good, better gear, but, you know, absolutely. Is there a veteran nonprofit? And, and I know you, there's, there's a lot of them that you've worked with. Uh, is there a veteran nonprofit or an individual whom you've worked with or you've had experience with who you'd like to mention? Well, I, I, I think I mentioned in passing, but uh, Direct Employers Association is actually a not-for-profit. And they have, a, they have a relationship with the VA and they have a relationship with DOL. Matter of fact, they are, uh, the VA had a job board and mm -hmm. the jobs came from direct employers and DOLs in their offices out in the, in the states, they get their jobs from direct employers. You would think that would be a government entity, but it's not. It's a, it's a not-for-profit. And the reason that they've been on our board forever mm -hmm. and they've always provided our jobs, but the reason we like them so much is they, they update that, that job board every night. You're not trying to fill a job that was filled two weeks ago. Yeah. And, and employers can afford to list their jobs there, all their jobs. So it's, it's, it's a great asset for us. How does your job board differ from like in an Indeed or a Monster or is it, or a, or a glass board, a glass door? Is it, is it because it's more tailored and it's more accurate? It's, there are more jobs because they're not paying to have their jobs there. They pay like a, a yearly fee to be a members of direct employers. And for that, they get all their jobs listed, not just a handful. And it's updated every night. So it, it it's, you know, it's, it's their, all their jobs all year long. Plus they get the expertise of, 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 uh, OS, OFCCP experts uh -huh. and, uh, other HR experts that are on that staff. We use, we refer them all the time. So you're saying there's, there's more, there's more jobs on that job board than what you would see at a Indeed or a, or a Glassdoor or a LinkedIn. And the, and the reason there's more is because you have to pay a feed on all those for profits. Yeah. Yeah. And you pay by the job or by the, by the few jobs. You don't do that at direct employers. 
Interesting. Didn't know that. Didn't know that. Okay, Dan, uh, sir, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, is there anything else that I may have missed or, or didn't ask that you think is important to share? Well, let me, uh, let me think about it. I always am afraid I left somebody out. Um, some of our other funders are McCormick Foundation, Heist Family Foundation, Prudential, yeah, uh, Walmart. Uh, we got a lot of support out there in corporate America. No, it's smart marketing putting uh, corporate America supports you. It's like c- kind of putting the onus on them. Like, hey, you know, I think that's where it belongs. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's smart marketing. Um, well, a lot of veterans, you know, this is the VA's podcast. A lot of veterans listen to this podcast. A lot of, a lot of VA employees uh, listen to this podcast. Do you might maybe have a message for them, like a parting shot, parting piece of wisdom? Well, I'll be honest. I, I, I've, am registered with the VA. I think they do a great job. I think they've gotten a lot better. Uh, I, I just went to a VA clinic over in uh, Cape Coral to uh, get get blood tests the other day, and it was just a great uh, facility with n- nice people who got me in on time and got me out on time, and they were uh, very professional. Uh, they, they had some, uh, lines going on for, uh, getting the, uh, virus shots out there. It's good to hear. I mean, I, I think they, they do a great service for, for veterans on the benefits and the healthcare side. The VA does a very good job on the medical side. I don't know of anybody that has any complaints. My primary care doctor is probably the best doctor I've ever had in my life. He was my friend, good patient of mine. He only comes once a week, but I do. I enjoy him. She really comes good. in special. Yes, early I in the do. morning. Early in the Just morning. For me. That's exactly why I choose VA. Choose VA today. Visit VA.gov. I want to thank the good Admiral for taking the time to come on board in the battle. You can also find more information about Dan at www.casy.us forward slash docs forward slash bios forward slash team forward slash Dan underscore K-L-O-E-P-P-E-L dot PDF. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is from our VA Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our digital team highlights a veteran on blogs.va.gov and on our main VA social media channels. You can catch them right around noon. You can submit a nomination yourself by sending in an email containing some photos and a short write-up to newmedia at va.gov. Lauren Glover was born in Westerville, Ohio, and was raised in Columbus. She attended the University of She attended the University of Finley, where she earned her bachelor's degree in psychology. While attending college, she considered joining the military, as her parents instilled a culture of service, as her mother served in the Air Force for 28 years, and her father was a firefighter. After graduating in 2011, Glover enlisted in the Army and traveled to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, to complete basic training. She then commissioned through Officer Candidate School, and then went to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, for military police training. After graduating in 2011, Glover commissioned through the Officer Candidate School 
and went to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri for military police training. In the fall of 2012, Glover went to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba to work in the detention facility and afterwards was assigned to the Old Guard in Fort Myer, Virginia, leading soldiers in the dual purpose of serving in ceremonies and protecting high-level officials during ceremonies at Arlington National Cemetery. Following her year with the military police company, Glover joined the U.S. Army drill team, and she became the first woman to lead the drill team. Glover ended her military career in 2016 as a captain. She then started a clinical psychology doctoral program at the American School of Professional Psychology and later transferred to the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Her goal is to work as a psychologist for military personnel. Army veteran Lauren Glover. Thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcasting app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, Pinterest, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song, and was written by Marine veteran Mark Melkilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gun. Fire, bullets fly, they might brain. Simplify till we die another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 7.62 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Russian-made bullet in my bag Raining down lead Punching that clock Get them, boys, I'm laying down Cover machine gunner bullets fly They in that brain Simplify, do or die Another campaign Here we go, lock and load 0331, lug a thousand rounds And I ain't bringing back one we, we had dinner one one evening on, on this uh, it's a restaurant it's a revolving restaurant in the, in this capital city of Reykjavik and and we were having dinner with uh, the the uh, uh, Debbie who, who, who was there from Sweden the Queen of Sweden right Queen of Denmark. Queen of Denmark was the honorary visitor for for this dinner, and we had an opera singer, and it was we were in our dress dress uniforms, and uh, it kind, of, kind of a kind of a starchy evening. We were sitting we were sitting with the president of of the country. Yeah, 
and uh, we were all really minding our P's and Q's. And all of a sudden, this earthquake hits and just shakes the heck out of this revolving restaurant. Wines all over the table. And it finally calms down and the opera singer never stops. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we we take off our ties, we roll up our sleeves, we pour some more wine. And I don't know, we just started being friends at this table and we became friends for the rest of the time we were in Iceland. It's like, hey, we just survived an earthquake that might have killed us all. This is a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> 